0: The New York Jets select, speech. It's Garrett Wilson, Kayvon Templinor again. Royal Hamilton in the end zone. Sauce Gardner coming in.
3: Welcome back to TOJ Presents Draft Season. The New York Jets, free agency is in full swing. They signed two tight ends, they signed a starting corner, a starting safety, they solidified that offensive line. I mean, I think, you ask anyone, the Jets are obviously a 10-win team going to make the playoffs because those emotions are just riding riding so high in the month of March. But, uh, you know, I'm joined with my guys. Joe, how are you?
2: I'm doing well, Meigs. I've been uh, having a good couple of days. I think free agency has been pretty, pretty sick thus far. I think D has made some good moves. I think my favorite part of it thus far was the Lakin Tomlinson signing. Obviously we needed an interior offensive lineman, but I think my favorite part about that particular signing is that James literally called him a bust like three weeks ago. <laughs> so <laughs> having him being picked up by the Jets is just like that much better, my man. So feeling good about the offensive line, feeling good about some of those picks and uh, excited about today, man.
3: Yeah, love to hear it. James, I know, uh, you know, f- you're a big value guy. Not a lot of value is found in free agency. So where is your headspace at with all these signings that they've made? Uh, My headspace is good.
4: I think they've done a pretty good job in free agency so far. So excited to discuss tonight.
3: Yeah. Dylan, um, after a week off, that seemed pretty, you know, timely, given what happened at the Combine. Uh, how are you? You know, Meigs, I
5: I had a wonderful week away and then I had to come back and listen to you slander me on the podcast and, you know, try to kind of throw around this assumption that I was dodging the fact that Jahan didn't run, maybe as quick as I expected, but the fact is still that he's going to have a better career than Chris Olave, so eat your heart out, Meegs. And with that said, also, Cade Ottenhive is absolutely growing right now. Joe Bellick is miserable about it because these guys are all in his mentions and I'm loving life because we've got two great tight ends that we just added. I Great might be an overstretch, but I'm really excited about the tight end room. And now it frees the room to get the young, the mini
2: George Kittle on our roster. I'm ecstatic, Meigs. It was a simple oversight, Dylan. All
3: right.
2: <laughs> you know I love K-Dotten. Maybe not as much as you comparing him to George Kittle, but. The group's you know, growing.
5: There's a hive out player. there
2: now. <laughs>
3: solid player. Yeah, Joe, Joe, don't give in too easily. Jake Ferguson is literally the perfect fit as that blocking tight end who can grow into receiver next to Tyler Conklin, CJ Uzoma. Better than k and I'm fully ready to say that. But a big signing that I think. A lot of Jets fans were not surprised by, but, you know, they had these dreams of Stefan Gilmore, Carlton Davis. And then they go out and sign, I think, what everyone would call an ascending player in DJ Reed from the Seattle Seahawks. Gave him a nice CB2 money at, you know, eleven million, three years, $33 million, $11 million per year. I think he's going to be the starting CB1, in quotes, for the Jets. And I like DJ Reed. I think if anyone who really watched the Seattle Seahawks, he was a good player. And a lot of Seahawks fans are sad to see him go. So my question isn't really your opinions on DJ Reed, but do you think this signing compared to what we saw from Bryce Hall or Brandon Eccles takes cornerback off the table for the Jets in round one? And Dylan, I'll start with you because I know you love the corners in this class.
5: Um, yeah, so I do love the corners in this class. I think it's a really strong class, but I've also been very firm in the belief from the start that I didn't think that Joe Douglas would make a move for a corner in the first three rounds of the draft. And I still stand pat in that belief because if anything, I think this amplified it. I think now you got gave a guy, I would even argue Meeks that. For Joe Douglas to give out that kind of salary to a corner, a position, I don't know necessarily how heavily he does value as much as obviously the trenches have been his love affair since he became the general manager. I think for him to give that much money really is a premium asset that he believes is treating DJ Reed like a kind of cornerback one type. I don't think he is the cornerback one that everybody desires, but I think he's going to be next season. So in my opinion, I think that was the premium asset that DJ teased on the bad. Lance Pod and that is probably the biggest move they're going to make for a cornerback in this year's offseason. So, I think they're pretty content with running into next season with DJ Reed at cornerback one and then letting Hall, Eccles and uh Michael Carter Jr. fight it out and see uh or Michael Carter the third. I could get them mixed up all the time, but uh the Michael Carter slot guy uh fight it out and see who ends up starting.
3: Yeah, no, Dylan, I would tend to agree with you. I do think that there is a chance they will use a top 40 pick on them using one of the second rounders, if a guy like a Kyrie Elam, and Andrew Booth, a Kyler Gordon, if they like that kind of corner in that day two range, I could see them making a move there. But I do agree. I think the Sauce Gardner, the Derek Stingley, the Tre McDuffies of the world will not be New York Jets, but, you know, could be proven wrong. Joe, I know that you're a guy who loves the trenches, but you're also a low-key a guy who loves secondary I could say that you sometimes prefer building that defense back to front. So is corner off the board in your eyes?
2: I'm still an inside out, Meigs, but I do value a shutdown corner very highly. It's like the laws of supply and demand. There just aren't a lot of those guys out there. So if you could get one, I think investing a high pick in it is, is a wise move. As far as DJ Reed, I like him and listen, best player on the 26th ranked uh, pass defense in the league. Whoa, home run there, right? <laughs> I mean, no, listen, I, I joke, but... I like him. I watch a little bit of him. I think that he's smart, physical, confident. I think he's a really instinctual player. And I think that the Jets got a good one. I was incredibly impressed, especially within zone. I think he needs a little bit more work, say, in press on like vertical routes, but solid player. But I think he really has that kind of ceiling of a CB2. And I think that that's kind of what all the Jets corners have, really that kind of CB2 ceiling from Echols to Hall and to him. Um, Now, I do like the addition, and I, I don't think they will go cornered in the top 10 but I don't think it rules it out I just think it makes it less likely I think that's I think that's the right answer you know like I said I think those other guys are CB2s and if Gardner's there potentially at 10 and they think he is that shutdown guy I can certainly see them taking him I mean I think he would be smart I mean when you look at Salah and some of the defenses he's had I mean he had Richard Sherman yeah he wasn't a first round pick, but the guy was a Hall of Famer. They even brought in Jason Verrett, who was a first round pick. Obviously, he's had some injury concerns, but obviously they like a player of that caliber because when Verrett is healthy, he very much plays like a first round player. Then you look at some other guys in his system from Dan Quinn, picked up AJ Terrell in the first round. Even Gus Bradley was there when they drafted Ramsey. So I think they understand the value of that kind of player in this system. Um, even though some people say this system doesn't really need a player of that type, I would kind of disagree to some degree, but I do think though that, yeah, they probably will skip on it, but I do not believe, like I said, we should be shocked.
3: Yeah, no, I definitely see what you're saying there. I really think that if you think a certain defense doesn't need edge rushers or doesn't need corners, I just think you're kind of just really not being truthful because like the cover three defenses that everyone's like, oh, it's built on. does it work without a pass rush. Can you tell me the defense that does work without a pass rush? Because it doesn't exist. James, I know you're the leader of the Derek Stingley Hive. If he didn't get hurt, he'd be the unanimous 1-1, one, one picking this draft, best player in the class, has this elite, elite ceiling. So is sending DJ Reed taking you completely off corner in the top ten? Signing DJ Reed and not doing anything about edge and free agency
4: – does make me think that they're not going to go corner in the top 10. It's really both of those things put together as of right now, Chandler Jones was signed or Chandler Jones was signed by the Raiders. And obviously Von Miller got the big deal from the bills. They haven't done anything on edge. And I think you're kind of teed up very nicely in the first round to either take one of the top two edges that fall or trade back, or maybe even take Jermaine Johnson at four. So those are my thoughts.
3: Yeah, no, I definitely agree guys. There's a hot button issue on Jets Twitter. And, you know, I gave us a nice little palate cleanser with the corner discussion, but now it's it's, it's time to dig in. Lakin Tomlinson, who the Jets gave big money to, he's now the seventh highest paid guard in the league by average annual salary. Like, that's no joke. That's a big contract. It's going to be penciled in, we think, at right guard. AVT is penciled in at left guard. George Fant's going to be left tackle. And then Connor McGovern, I can't say he's in ink because there's the J.C. Treader floating around out there. We have Connor Hughes of the Athletic reporting that if the Jets see a clear upgrade at center, that they have no issues moving on from McGovern and taking that clear upgrade. But a lot of people have been saying the Jets love NC State offensive tackle Aquano. and if you take Aquano at four overall because you think he's you know this elite player, best player in the class, just too good to pass up on. Um, I think Mekhi Becton has to be traded by draft night because I have zero interest in watching a George Fant mekhi Becton camp battle. I have zero issues. I have zero intention ever watching the Jets have a fourth overall pick sitting on the sidelines as like a swing tackle. I just think that's a gross mismanagement of resources. So Joe, you're the O-line guy. I know you love Vicky Aquano. I think the writing's on the wall where if they make that move, Becton's time here is done. Is that the right move in your eyes?
2: I think several things could happen if they draft a Kwanu. I feel like first they can potentially go into camp with three guys, just like they did
3: last year when they had Moses fans and, uh, and McK- Moses Jesus <laughs> Christ. You. Okay, Joe, I think, Joe, I think I got your answer on what we should do. <laughs> I totally
2: forgot about him already. So, I mean, listen, they're they are one player away. Like we've always said from Connor McDermott starting. So going into that, you know, into camp with those three guys, I think would actually be a wise move. I, I do. Know there is a lot of uncertainty there with Beckton. At the same time, I I feel like if he's there and they don't they don't know if he's gonna if Aquano's actually gonna be there at four. So I feel like if they do trade him, it might actually be on draft night. I'm trying to think of what team out there would actually give up a high asset or a high draft pick for Beckton. If that does happen, maybe the Steelers at 20 now that they got their quarterback in Trubisky, you know, maybe that would be an interesting thing. And they could get maybe another quarterback in the second round, or because I don't know if Pickett's even gonna be a first round pick anymore. And he seems like the most logical spot for a player for them, but I like it. I I feel like, you know, Aquanu is a really smart decision. And when you look back at even what Joe Douglas did in 2019 with Andre Dillard, when they already had that kind of stacked offensive line, they moved up in the first round to get him just as a preemptive strike because they expected Jason Peters not to be there the next year. So I could see them doing something like that. And I don't think Aquanu would be sitting on the bench. I think he would be guaranteed a starting spot and it would be a battle between fans and Beckton in camp and whichever one didn't win might get traded or they just might leave the roster as is because like I said, an injury here or an injury there. And that offensive line could be in shambles. Like we do not want to see uh, one of Chuma Doga or Connor McDermott or anybody else. Um, I think that's just a recipe for disaster and could be just the beginning of a really bad season for the jets. So listen, if they do it, I'm all for it, man. Regardless of signing Lake and Tomlinson.
3: Okay. Dylan, I'll pivot to you because I have some intense thoughts about what Joe said, but I want to see, see what you have to say. I,
5: I have a feeling there's going to be a little fire coming out here from all parties, but if they go into the draft with Mikai Becton on the roster still and proceed with the fourth overall pick to pass up an edge rusher and draft the Kemakuanu, a guy who I started not really loving From the day one we really did this pod, Joe, you and I went head-to-head over him, and I've grown to see a lot of the potential in him. I like him as a player. I really think he's a really smart individual as well and a high IQ player, and I've grown to really like him. But regardless of if it's Aquano, if it's Evan Neal, if it's Charles Cross, if whoever they grab at four or even ten is their first-round pick on the offensive line and they go to grab a tackle, I would be very, very upset with the mis- – I would call it a mismanagement of resources for them to use a first-round pick on an offensive lineman and then go into camp with Makai Becton, Fant, and Aquanu on the roster based on the fact that i I kind of went into free agency with this sentiment and – it was that if they went out and grabbed somebody like a James Daniels, like we had talked about a Laken Tomlinson, uh, not necessarily a Bradley Bozeman, but one of these high ticket, big price free agents and used a premium asset on that, it would justify using an edge and going wide receiver in the first round for me pretty firmly. And at this point, I am pretty comfortable with that mentality. And I would rather kind of wait maybe into the second round and grab a Trevor Penning or something. If you really want to create that competition, if Penning's still there, an offensive tackle at that point. But I think for me, I they really did go heavy on offense in free agency. Yes, you made the addition of Whitehead and Reed, but you put a lot of money towards Tomlinson. You got Uzama and you got Conklin and brought back Coleman. So you add these pieces, you're going to add some pieces in the draft. It's time to work on the damn defense because aside from DJ Reed and Jordan Whitehead, they haven't invested in anything else right now. And that defense sucked last year because at the end of the season, the offense was trying to, starting to kind of find its groove a teeny bit and this defense was allowing a a immense amount of points and immense amount of yards to teams they really shouldn't have been allowing those points to so yes Carl Lawson will be back that's great but you don't know how he's going to rebound I would grab an insurance policy at edge before I'd use the resource on a first rounder again and I could already see you kind of questioning this decision so you can fire back if you want
3: Dylan I completely understand where you're coming from I completely disagree with Joe in the fact that you can go into camp with Becton and Fant and Aquanu or what insert offensive tackle that you took for overall. Because like the Andre Diller corollary is like noticeable and that's something that should be talked about. Andre Diller was a pick in the twenties. Like yeah. when you take a guy in the first round, if you take him top ten, I think if unless it's a quarterback that you're trying to groom, that you're expecting that guy to immediately contribute from day one. And I just don't think like, this staff loves George Fant. George Fant is going to be their starting left tackle. I don't think they have any interest in giving him competition for that job. And Mekhi Becton is willing to work with them and show that he can put all the nagging injuries behind him. I think they want him to be their right tackle. I think George Fant has that position locked down. There will be no camp battle for him. And if there was going to be a camp battle, it would be between Ike Oconalu and Makai Becton, which I just don't think... It's plausible. When you look at all the rest of the holes on this team, when you look at their need at receiver, when you look at their need at edge, also the creeping need at defensive tackle that I think this podcast has been a little bit early on and now more people are starting to talk and talk and talk about, which I think is good. Um, For me, honestly, like I'm just between a rock and a hard place because I don't love going wide receiver at 35 because I think the Jets should be taking some at the top of this wide receiver class who can really contribute from day one, I just don't think like the sixth or seventh wide receiver at the board is going to guarantee you that, unfortunately. And they got to they got to get an edge rusher, whether it's at four, whether it's at ten, and that's what if they're going to go offensive tackle. I think you got to use Makai Becton as that piece to get you a pick or get you a wide receiver that helps you fit all three of those needs if you're going to take that offensive tackle.
2: You know me, I I do tend to agree with that. I feel like they should probably trade him on draft night. At the same time, it's like, there's still a lot of questions with George Fan. I, I feel like the Jets talking about how much they like him could even be somewhat of a smokescreen. Like, you don't think that Joe Douglas would love for Mekhi Becton to go into camp, the guy who, his first overall pick as a Jets GM, to go in there and beat that guy out? You don't think that he would want to see something like that? I, I absolutely do. And like, look at Fan. They He makes about $10 million a year. They signed him to about $10 million a year as a backup well, he's going to be a free agent after next year. I mean, how much money are they going to have to pay him if he actually has a decent year? What if he just has a good year? It's nothing great. Just like, oh, he's a solid left tackle. They're going to have to pay up for George Fant, and they still have Mekai on his rookie contract. So I feel like people are kind of maybe putting Fant a little bit too high on a pedestal right now when you compare those two prospects. Now I understand that obviously we're talking about this at a tackle at four because there is a lot of uncertainty and there's, has a, a lot of question marks about that. if there wasn't, we wouldn't be talking about tackle right now at all at four. Right. So there is definitely something real to the conversation, but at the same time, it's like, I, man, I, I want to see before I trade back, unless I can get a first round pick for him, if we can't get a first round pick for him, I think it would be almost foolish to trade him. Let's see what he's going to do in camp. You know, what if he actually does rise to the occasion and be that guy that we saw his rookie year. I mean, he looked like he was going to be a pretty special player.
3: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that part. I just think the factor that I think a lot of Jets fans and a lot of the the media is reporting is that Robert Sala and his staff were not here when Mekhi Becton was drafted. And they're clearly a staff that really values availability. They went out and gave Lakin Tomlinson the bag. Lakin Tomlinson, I don't think he's missed a snap. I don't think he's missed a snap in the past four years with the 49ers. That availability is a big thing for him. That is the biggest question mark with Makai Becton at the moment. Well, meeks Fant isn't Mr. Consistent in the durability area either.
2: He got hurt at the end of the year. He's been nicked up many times in his career. So I, I just don't think
3: that those two things kind of correlate.
4: Okay.
3: James, I feel like you were left out of this discussion. you have any thoughts, Dag? Because I know you're actually a very big Mekhi Becton guy.
4: Yeah, I mean, I disagree about the availability point. Their big free agent signing was Carl Lawson, who's probably played less games than he's actually, you know, had the opportunity to in like four or five years in the league. I would just say – Based on public information, I don't see why you wouldn't want to keep Makai Beckton. He's a really good player when he plays. He's young and he has a lot of potential. Um, you know, to the extent that there are other factors that aren't public that are driving the Jets' decision making, you know, I guess we just have to wait and see. But I don't understand why you would want to trade him now when his value is basically nothing, um, when he could become a player who who you know down the line, one or two years could demand like two or three first round picks, you know, if he sees his potential realized. So I just don't really get it um, to be honest.
3: Yeah, no, I think it's an interesting discussion to be honest. I just wish McKay Beckton didn't have these question marks and they could just go edge at four wide receiver at 10 and we would have our offense. And then we could just focus on retooling that defense. But now this is going to bring me to an edge rusher that I know we've given a little love to, I think we've beat the KT uh, dead horse enough. And there's a guy who's been rising up draft boards, a guy who I think we all liked at the top of the second round as soon as the season ended. But then we saw the combine. We saw his performance at the senior bowl. And I think Florida State's Jermaine Johnson has really established himself as going to be a very likely top 15 pick. And for a lot of people, going to be a top 15 player in this class. So we've had the Jermaine Johnson at 10. We've had the Jermaine Johnson at four scuttlebutt in the past few weeks. Now, my question to you guys is, do you value Jermaine Johnston as a top 10 pick? And James, you, I, I think you do, because you call him this draft's Brian Burns. So do you feel like the value is there?
0: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile.
1: Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
4: I mean, I wasn't comparing him to Brian Burns stylistically. It was more of just. I just meant impact wise. I mean, I think, yeah, I think he's going to be a really good player. The one thing I'm skeptical about is how often do you have somebody with his career trajectory? where he's a red fruit senior, he spent a year in JUCO, turned out to be like a great player in the NFL. I was actually trying to look at previous drafts to find somebody who was had kind of like an analogous career trajectory. Um, but I think he's a great player and I think he'd be a great fit in this defense. So I do think he's a top 10 player in this class.
3: Yeah, um, I would agree with you. I think Joe's even Joe's gonna perk up when I say this. If you're looking for that pure Salah, 4 3 defensive end fit, the guy that we've been talking about. That you look at the typical Robert Salah guys. I think if you're just looking on fit alone, Aiden Hutchinson would be one. I think Jermaine Johnson would be two. And that's why I would love him at 10. Like, I feel like four, like four, he's, it's, get this out of your head. It's not like the Raiders taking Cleveland Farrell. Jermaine Johnson's a much better player. He's a great run defender. He can get on the field early. And he actually has a nice variety of pass moves where I definitely could see them. Doing that, taking him over KT will be tough for me because I'm assuming that's what would happen in this scenario. unless three edges go off the boards in the top four picks, but Jermaine Johnson's a really, really good player. I think he's exactly what Robert Sala wants and brings this defense much into juice. Now, Joe, I saw you perk up. So are you in agreement with me and James? Yeah, I mean, I was even chastised
2: last week for even suggesting him at four. Of course I'd be into it. I'd even, like I said, I'd be fine if Joe Douglas took him over, came on Thibodeau. I think he's an excellent player. I think he's the complete prospect. I, I would love him on the Jets. I think, like you said, Meeks, he is the perfect 4-3 weak side defensive end and a solid defense.
3: He's great, man. I, I would have no complaints with that at all. Perfect. Dylan, are we all in agreement or, or is this where you get on your soapbox and be Mr. Contrarian? I think this is going to be one of the few
5: times I'm going to be on an island here. Uh, at 10, I think I could justify it. At 4, I feel like it's a little rich for my blood. Um, I like Jermaine Johnson a lot. I think he's productive. I think he was one of the, my top probably six edge rushers pretty clearly for me from the start um, along with Ojabo, Karlaftis, and then the uh, top two that we've beaten to death on the pod. But I think for me that it I he's gotten into the tier of Ojabo and Karlaftis firmly for me and supplanted Ojabo because I think he's a more well-rounded pass rusher. But I think for me, the upside with Thibodeau is still going to, put him ahead of Johnson in my head and I know that's something that Joe you're squirming at because you aren't necessarily the biggest KT guy but I think for me that it just comes down to an upside swing with a guy who's been productive at points but underwhelming for a fourth or for a number four pick but I mean it's not that I don't like Jermaine Johnson he was the ACC defensive player of the year he's a freak athlete but I mean he's 23 years old He's well-rounded, but who knows if Thibodeau or Ojabo or Karlaftis with a little more time, two more years could be at this point or even better. So I think for me, obviously, it's not that big of a year difference or anything like that. But I like the talent of those guys in the upside a little bit more than Johnson, but I like Johnson a lot. I just can't justify it at four.
2: Where is this narrative that I'm not a Kavon Thibodeau guy just because I you know, critiqued him a little bit You know,
5: where is this narrative? You are very 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 critical
3: of Kayvon Thibodeau, to be honest. Hold on. One at a time. What was that? You called him underwhelming. You called my
5: Davian Clowney comparison appalling because he should be more productive than that. Like, I'm sorry, Joe. It sounds like you're not the biggest Thibodeau guy.
2: You called him underwhelming
5: as well, Dylan. Let's be real. I feel like there's there's a different standard of underwhelming. Underwhelming for you is like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't even take him at 10. Underwhelming for me is like, I'd still take him at four, but I'm not expecting him to come out here and have 10 and a half sacks, 11
2: and a half sacks his rookie year. No, I would absolutely take him at 10. I just was trying to let the listeners know that if Joe Douglas did pass on him, there is reason for it. And there I feel like I'm the only one really kind of breaking it down for everybody to let them know exactly who Kayvon is as a prospect. I know some of us are you know, getting some flack for it, but it's just the truth. Kayvon's good. I still have him ranked ahead of Jermaine Johnson. At the same time, I feel like Jermaine Johnson is probably more of a Joe Douglas guy than Kayvon Thibodeau is. So don't be shocked if he is that selection over Kayvon. Uh, that's just what I'm trying to say.
3: All right, Dylan? All right, all right, guys. I'm gonna lob. This was not in the pre-show meeting. Gonna lob this grenade onto the podcast. There was a certain ACC pass rusher from last draft who I believe was the first edge off the board last year. Now this person had some injury concerns. So I'm saying on pure talent, who do you like more, Jalen Phillips or Jermaine Johnson? And Joe, you look very confused. I'm not gonna start with you, Dylan. Who do you prefer? Ooh, this
5: is tough. Man, you kind of came out of nowhere with this one, Meeks.
3: I got to keep it fresh and lively on the pod. You know, I can't. You know, can't, be, I can't be all softballs. I'll come uh, in there.
2: I feel like I would probably have Jalen Phillips ranked higher than Jermaine Johnson. I feel like the only reservations I had with Jalen last year was his health. This guy was technically sound. He was a good run defender. He was the complete prospect, just like Jermaine kind of is now at edge. So, but I, I love Phillips last year. I mean, that guy's a total beast. Not that Jermaine isn't. But I I believe, I think I would have him ranked higher. Now, I don't know if other people would because clearly, you know, Jermaine is, is ending up in people's top 10 right now. But Jalen Phillips, man, dude, low key had an excellent season. You know, maybe he didn't get all those total pressures, but he was sacking the quarterback. He was doing exactly what we expected him to do. I think that was a good pick, you know, by all of us on the pod. I think we were kind of in consensus had him as edge one. If he was in this draft, I think he would be in the conversation right now in the top 10 as well if he didn't have those injury concerns. I do believe that.
3: Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you, Joe. I think it's very close between those two. I just think it's – honestly, it comes out to a more stylistic thing. I think it's just like what you prefer in your edges and what part you're trying to fill on that defensive line. And I wouldn't knock anyone going. Just basically, I really think that comes down to team fit. But I do think Jermaine Johnson is that level of player where he should be in that discussion, and Jets fans should be excited about him if he is the pick. James, I know you love Jalen Phillips, so are you going to chastise us for even – mentioning Jermaine Johnson in his airspace?
4: No, I actually think the better comparison to Jalen is Aiden Hutchinson. I think they move kind of similarly. I think they both have great lateral movement ability, very powerful and good hand usage in that they can both win outside and inside and through the tackle. I see them kind of similarly in that regard, and he's definitely better than Jermaine Johnson. Okay. Okay. Joe was very interested, really perked
5: that one. Dylan. I'll go to you. You know, I I really like Jalen Phillips and maybe it was a little bit of tuning into you guys a little bit last year, but I'll give you guys a little kudos there. But I really like Jalen Phillips. I thought he was really special, but the health kind of scared me. I still had him as near the top last year and kind of would have understood if he had been a top 10 pick regardless of health. But I think like Jermaine Johnson, he is a safe swing. I'm not going to act like I'm not like a Jermaine Johnson guy, but because you kind of look at it you hit the nail on the head. It is like a preference thing. There's people who are going to put Carl ahead of him. There's going to be people who put Ojabo ahead of him because he's just that athletic specimen. But I mean, Jermaine Johnson is a safe, consistent prospect, but I, I would probably go Phillips still because I really, really liked Phillips, but um, I, I couldn't knack you putting Jermaine Johnson in the same conversation with him. Cause I'm not going to say Jermaine Johnson isn't a top 10 prospect. My case is just, he's not a top five prospect.
3: Yeah, no, I, I think we're definitely view these players the same. And just I want draft season listeners to know as much as I love KT and part of me will be disappointed that the Jets do take Jermaine Johnson. They're getting a hell of a football player and they should not be disappointed. Now the wide receiver question, I think with the Jets not adding anybody um, I know a lot of Jets fans melted down because they didn't want to give Amari Cooper $20 million, which is, was hilarious because Amari Cooper isn't that good. Like, that was generally a great move to avoid him by the Jets. Uh, I would encourage you to look up uh, Amari Cooper's splits in cold weather where he averages 40 yards a game. You know, that that was really worth $20 bucks. But I've been talking with with the host of the Turn on the Jets podcast, Will Parkinson, about what they should do with wide receiver and that the Jets have two second-round picks and talk about possibly moving up to the 18 to 23 range, packaging one of our second-round picks, And the third round pick, which is normally the price for moving back into the first round from the second round, about getting that wide receiver if they go offensive tackle and edge at 4-10. and Now, it all depends on who's on the board, but I'd be very hard-pressed to believe that Jameson Williams, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, and Traylon Burks are all going in the top 17. So one of those players, I would have to believe, are there. If that's the package it costs to get one of those players— is that a move if they say in this scenario they go offensive tackle and edge at four and ten, would you be willing to make? James, you look like you're literally horrified because I went against the study and traded up, not traded down. So please, please tell me.
4: No, I was just gonna ask, dude, have I not have I not taught you anything?
3: So you're completely against this, is what I'm hearing. I mean, why would we trade up instead of trading back? Because I don't know if you're going to be able to trade back. Like this is the whole, this is the thing I want to talk about trading back. Yeah. Trading back is great. You have to find someone who wants to trade up in order to trade back.
4: I'm sure there's at one of the two picks that we own, somebody would be willing to trade up at some yeah,
3: point. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, the Jets saw that in 2019. And that's why Quinn Williams is on the Jets. So uh, that's not always the case. I think we should stay put. I feel like. One of these wide receivers are definitely getting pushed into the second
2: round. There's going to be a huge run on edge, an offensive line. I think we're going to see a good guy, whether it's Pickens or Dotson, maybe Christian Watson, maybe Jamison Williams falls there. I mean, the guy has a pretty serious injury. I know people recover from that injury, but at the same time, listen, he tore his ACL. So I, I think it would be kind of silly to move up for a wide receiver. I think that, especially, listen, you know, Corey Davis didn't have the, the best year last year, but he's a solid wide receiver too. And we're hoping that he comes back and plays, you know, up to, up the poor, up to what you
3: believed he could be, Michael Megan, because you love Corey Davis. I do right? love Corey Davis. Yeah. I think a Corey Davis bounce back year is definitely on the cards, yeah. but you know, and then I'm have, not trying to be good at wide receiver. I'm trying to be a great job. All right,
2: fine. But then we have Elijah Moore. I think a lot of us feel like he has that wide receiver one upside. He's not your prototypical wide receiver one, but he definitely has, you know, in him to be a very prolific receiver. So I feel like they have a a pretty solid maybe one-two punch. Maybe we're not giving that one-two punch enough credit. So I think waiting to the second round for a wide receiver three or a developmental guy might not be the worst thing in the world, especially if it's like one of these guys who would normally go in the first round, but
3: is going in the second round because of the state of the draft. All right, Dylan, I'll go to you because I'm very curious what your thoughts are on this. Because every time I try to make a wide receiver, I always get shot down by this entire podcast.
5: Well, I think for me, I I do believe there is a need for wide receiver, regardless of there being us maybe underselling Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, because there were certain points this season, Corey Davis had bricks for hands, and I was a little concerned with his ability to actually catch the football. But regardless, I would definitely not trade back into the first round to get him. If they do somehow end up taking a a Quanu and Johnson or some kind of combination like that, where they go offensive line and edge in the first round, I'm not even going to say I could not see it happening, though, because you saw how close they were to almost trading up for Elijah Moore last year. They had the plan in place to potentially trade up to 31 and actually take three first round picks last year. So if they fall in love with a guy like a a, maybe a lesser tier guy, not necessarily one of these guys who are consistently being projected in the top 15 or so but maybe if they fall in love with a Traylon Burks, Olave a Jahan Dotson David Bell somebody who has the potential to actually fall into the late part of the first round or even early second round I wouldn't be necessarily surprised if they made that move to go up kind of like they almost did for Elijah Moore last year but if I were in their shoes I would not do it I would just let the board play out and you have the 35th and the 38th pick I think you have the opportunity to dictate the pulse of the second round if you stay put.
3: Yeah, I guess my biggest issue is not that I am thrilled about doing this. I just think that when you talk about for the Jets, that those fiber wide receivers I named, I think are all very good players and can be very good tr- contributors on this team. And then after that fifth wide receiver, it drops. I do like Jahan Dotson and I do like James. I do like John Dotson, but him and Elijah Moore's skill set, I do not exactly know if they are t- a little too repetitive, if that is, the thing they want to go, or if they're going to value someone like that. So that's really where my reservations come in. But. Meeks, that's why you got got to draft Drake London, my friend. I won't do. I'm trying to trade up for Drake London and you're spitting in my (laughs) face. So I I feel like I'm in the London hive over here.
2: I fell asleep for a little while there, so I'm not sure what happened.
3: (laughs) All right. But James, James says he has a prediction for us. You know, he's rubbing the crystal ball. So James, tell us what you see in the Jets future.
4: Yeah. So, I mean. An additional reason I think you would want to stay put instead of trading up is you get really good players who fall into the early part of the second round, who were projected first round players. And I was thinking about this recently, but I could really see nikobe Dean falling just based on the pre-draft process that he's had. He's undersized to begin with, and he hasn't done any testing the entire pre-draft process. And... As Joe likes to say, uh, the NFL is very caught up in the anthropometrics of uh, evaluating players. And honestly, like I could see him falling, even though like I personally think the Kobe Dean is top five tape of players in this class i could see him maybe trailing burks just based on the fact that he ran really slow and had a terrible pre-draft process could also maybe see like andrew booth falling just because he's had kind of like everything died down so i think you would be in really good position to take a player at the top of the second who's a first round talent whether it's any of those three
3: or somebody else uh yeah no i James, the N'Kobe Dean top five tape completely lose my all-tramp thought because that is literally one of the craziest things I've heard on this podcast. But kudos to you for not bringing up his GPA or his major, so I guess we're making baby steps. But, uh, Joe, I'll, I'll let you take this. No,
2: I, I agree with James. I was saying one of these players are going to slip to the second round. we got two picks there. We have potential to get two guys who would normally, like I said, go in the first round, drop to you at 35 and 38. I don't think you move up, move up for that unless – Meigs, like you said, if Drake London's over there in the 20s, which I don't believe he will be, I might have to reconsider. But we'll see what happens on draft day.
3: Okay. Okay. I just wanted to throw that out there for the timeline, just to start thinking about it, because if they take Christian Watson or George Pickens at 35, I'm going to send out a bunch of angry tweets because those players should not be drafted there. But, guys, you know, we're going to end on this. We've been waiting for mock drafts. Every mock draft we were reading before this week was like, wait for free agency. You got to see what holes they fill. What is the thing you feel most confident about that the Jets going to do in the draft now that we've seen this like initial wave of free agency? Dylan, I will start with you. Um, I would actually go receiver.
5: I think that I I think the complete lack of kind of really any reported interest and in one of these top guys or even at this point trading for a top guy kind of leads me to believe that within the top 35, they're going to select a receiver who they believe is going to be a day one starter, because I still think there is the like, I, as much as I was a little appalled by the take Joe I I still think there is the room that they could go Aquanu at four. And that is a completely realistic possibility based on Joe Douglas's mentality and not necessarily something I'd be completely stunned by or mad by, but I think that it's not a given that that would happen. It's not a given that they even go edge. Maybe they are kind of set with Carl Lawson and letting everything play out. It's not a given they go defensive line, corner, any of it. But I think at this point, based on all signs, it's a given they go wide receiver based on the fact they didn't make a move to get one. And I think they kind of know that Braxton Berrios, Elijah Moore, and Corey Davis cannot be their three starters, and they know they need to get somebody.
3: Yeah, no, I definitely see that the moves are trending that way, barring like a late deal for Allen Robinson that I just don't think is happening based on basically anything you read, Joe. What is the one move that you feel like they is really training toward post this initial wave?
2: Well, I think because they missed out on Marcus Williams, they are definitely going to be looking for a kind of single high free safety. You know, I feel like that. Missing out on that particular player kind of hurt them and kind of hurt their flexibility going into this draft. Yeah, we signed Jordan Whitehead, but he is more of a strong safety, more of an in-the-box guy. He could play a little single high, but he's really at his best close to the line of scrimmage. And when you look at in the second round in particular, I know it's a deep safety class, but the guys that are available in that range, you know, like Petrie and Brisker are kind of like players who are right now a little bit more of in-the-box players themselves. You know, I feel like there's only really one true bona fide or two single high type center fielders, and that's Kyle Hamilton and Dax Hill. And I don't know that Dax Hill is going to be there in the second round. Now, I think Louis Seen could play it, but he's, you know, at Georgia, he's more on these two high looks. He's a little bit better coming downhill as well. Now he's got the speed. He does have the range. I think he could play that role as well, but I don't know how much I trust him in that role from day one. as like a plug and play starter. I feel like there'll be a lot of growing pains. I think Dax Hill is really the only one who's going to come in and hit the ground running. And I think Kyle Hamilton probably will too. And I think that's why there's going to be discourse around potentially taking him there at 10 if he's available. Now, I don't think he will be, but if he does fall to 10, I feel like it is a realistic uh, option that the Jets will consider him there and potentially pick him up. I mean, when you look at Joe Douglas, you know, he was around guys like, or he even scouted, Ed Reed, right? And then you look at uh, Salah, and he was with the team when they had Earl Thomas. Like, they understand what those kind of impact players could have on a defense, and I feel like Kyle Hamilton is not out of the conversation just yet. I know you think he's going to be picked second to the Lions, meek, so that will obviously put all this to rest, but they definitely need a single high guy. They play single high coverage over 60% of the time, and this defense is missing that player, man. I feel like, man, I'm a little upset they missed on Marcus Williams. I like what they did overall. I think they've had a solid couple of days, but that was a big miss regardless of what else they did, which I'm happy about, but still.
3: Yeah, no, I definitely think free safety is position. They're going to look to upgrade. And it just depends if they view Kyle Hamilton in that, you know, in that atmosphere as that guy who can really be a linchpin of the defense and really be the guy who puts everything together. But, uh, and that remains to be seen if he's on the board and if the Jets view him that way. James, don't have been dying to talk, so let's hear it.
4: Yeah. Um, I'm not going to answer your question. I'm the okay. I'm Thanks. The- the spirit of your question i think the way that free agency is going to really change the draft philosophy is free agency brought in a lot of high floor players who aren't good but they're like average i think they're going to really shoot for star power and really draft for elite upside with the picks that they have so kind of like construe that however you want um but i think they're going to really shoot for the stars with the players that they pick
3: Okay, so Travon Walker is going to be a Jet, is basically what I took from that. Ah. That is James' big take. If he is a Jet and isn't good, make sure to tweet at Fuego Jet Sakes whenever you can. My what? big takeaway is really just simple. We've talked about it. We talked about it on Twitter. Dino Dillon's banging the table. The Jets are not going to be using a day two pick on a tight end. I think that's completely clear. I think this is a deep tight end class where you can get a guy who's a solid blocker, who can have some receiving upside to be that tight end three, where, you know, tight end is a hard position to grasp year one. You have two solid guys in CJ Zoma and Tyler Conklin to be ahead of them, help learn under them. And then you can really wind out a tight end room. That was quite abysmal one year ago and is now looking to be pretty solid. All righty guys. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much to all our listeners out there who I know tweet us all the time saying how much they love the show. We really, really appreciate all the support. Make sure you subscribe to the TOJ pod. Make sure you're subscribed to Badlands TOJ Live is now back in the thick of things, so make sure you're listening to that as well on the Turn on the Jets YouTube, and we will see you next week.